0: If companies are speaking out more on environmental issues and changing their own practices to combat climate change, it's likely the result of pressure from activists. Automakers Ford and GM, for example, have pledged to move to electric cars over the next 15 years. Companies ranging from Disney to Hewlett Packard have pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Activists have contributed to these changes through shareholder activism seeking board seats or approval of environmental resolutions at shareholder meetings, and by working from within companies, as employees, to demand new policies. Recently, climate activists won two and perhaps three seats on oil company ExxonMobil's board, with vote counting still going on. But companies are still pushing back, as Amazon did last year, in firing two climate activists who'd arranged a work stoppage to protest environmental policies. Is this the future of activism? I'm joined today by Laura Weiss, who covers environmental, social, and corporate governance, or ESG, for CQ Roll Call. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Sean.
0: Before we get into Amazon, can you explain to our listeners what ESG is? And how it fits into the policy landscape?
1: Yeah, so ESG is really the consideration of environmental, social, and governance factors in investing and business decision making. And you're thinking about things like greenhouse gas emissions, worker safety, having independent leadership to be sort of a check on CEO power, things like that. And over the last year, there were record inflows for ESG and sustainable funds. That's according to a research firm, Morningstar, um, companies have been producing more and more voluntary reports under real pressure from their shareholders who have become more and more concerned about these issues. It sort of used to be that ESG funds were on the sides, sort of seen as small, uh, seen as sort of um, having specific interests, but now you have the world's largest asset management firm, BlackRock, managing $9 trillion and saying it's incorporating ESG more and more, voting more and more for these things at corporate meetings. So ESG really exploded under Trump. Activists that were concerned about climate change or human rights had to look for new ways and new mechanisms to force change. And so you saw some regulation and policy proposals under Trump that were essentially opposed to the consideration of ESG. And investors, corporate leaders of public companies have legal obligations. And um, so Republicans have sort of deemed ESG a politicization of those obligations. Democrats are far more supportive. And now we're seeing a lot of reversals under the Biden administration and current Congress. And some of the big areas, things like addressing climate change as a risk to the financial system and disclosure. It's a big transparency issue.
0: So the Amazon employees who were fired, they talk about environmental justice. What does that term mean and how does it fit in? Mm -hmm.
1: So they're looking at environmental justice really in terms of Amazon's impact on local communities in the US and communities of color in particular. They're looking at where Amazon is placing its logistical hubs and warehouses And they're concerned that that's having a disproportionate impact on people of color and their health and their well-being of their communities. Um, This sort of activism over environmental justice, there were investors that years ago, decades ago, sort of united with community groups and community activists to use the shareholder power as a lever to try to get chemical and oil companies to do something about specific facilities that were polluting local communities but we're really seeing with Amazon you know more attention more uptake there's more traction really recently and at Amazon I spoke to an employee who will remain anonymous because of fear of reprisal but um, she described to me that she got involved with activism at the company because she was on site and she was noticing seeing where the logistical sites were located, where the trucks were driving, and seeing what it was like in communities.
0: There's a linkage then between racial justice activism, which we've seen explode since George Floyd was murdered, and environmental activism. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we have employees involved, but we also have shareholder activists. What are shareholder activists and what are they up to?
1: So shareholder activists are sort of groups that hold shares in companies, um, investment firms, it could also be hedge funds, individuals, and submit ballot proposals for votes at annual shareholder meetings, or they might seek board seats. So it's sort of a range of shareholders that instead of sort of sitting by and seeing how the investments do and just buying or selling the stock, they're trying to push for change. Um, through shareholder efforts at companies. So an example of that we've just seen was a really big thing that happened at Exxon. And it's this huge oil company, where uh, an investment firm that says it's really focused on sustainability, and is sort of pushing Exxon to invest more in renewable energy. One, it's looking like three board seats. And so we're seeing that sustainability and ESG has enough power to actually change who's leading corporations just through private sector means and private sector activism. And the shareholder proposals have been a tool that sort of shareholder activists use for a long time, especially shareholder activists that are religious organizations, groups of nuns um, and churches, church funds and They've used those for a long time, but now we're seeing even more groups become activists. We're seeing more signs of activism from the big asset managers like BlackRock, from public pension funds, and all of those groups too have been talking more about looking at actual board composition and are just taking stronger stances that would really royal corporate leadership more.
0: The investment firm that has won these three seats at Exxon... How big a deal is that? Um, You know, what percentage of the total board is three seats? And is the rest of the board likely to listen to these three new members?
1: So Exxon has a dozen board seats, so it's not a majority of the board, but even so, it can produce a lot of change. Um, hedge funds traditionally go for, can go for a board majority, but often go for a smaller number of seats. It's easier to win, but it still gives those new board members a real say in the top level discussions at corporations and top level policy. And it means those are more people who are in the room speaking with the CEO, essentially in theory, the CEO's boss and top executives and asking them questions. And sometimes in the world of corporate governance, a lot of times thinking about things like climate change or cybersecurity, it is someone at the top asking the question. Is someone putting that on executive's agenda? And then it's what you do from there as well. But uh, it certainly can change the agenda.
0: What about the resolutions that are passed at shareholder meetings? Are those binding on the management?
1: Yes. So those resolutions can be binding or not, but most of the time they're not. And really the ones that typically pass at corporate meetings are non-binding, but it doesn't mean that management won't listen. It's typically expected by investors that management does something. And often, you know, it's a pretty gentle request. It's, we want disclosure. We want reporting. We want you to consider something. It's not super prescriptive, but At the same time, corporate leaders usually respond in some form. It puts extreme pressure on them to do something or face more shareholder revolts, face it becoming a problem in their, you know, how their stock price is looking or something like that. So it's really um, does have a power, but it is an open question how much power it really has. And I think that's where you get into questions around greenwashing or how much companies are actually doing On ESG issues versus doing it for show.
0: What's your assessment, Laura? Is this activism paying off in the real world?
1: Yeah, so I think there are, in some cases, examples of it paying off. In others, where it's very unclear, I think it's it's quite complicated at this point, especially with the level of information companies have to report and, in particular, don't have to report. But at the same time, I think that that is a question that shareholder activists will come back with and that you're seeing activists and environmental activists as well in particular saying okay you've said you're going to be net zero by 2050 now we need to see interim targets and then we'll come back to you in two years and say where have you gotten toward that goal so i think because we are at a point where esg has exploded and it is early we are seeing a lot of goal setting and we are seeing I'd say in some cases, less concrete data. But I think that that is something not only activists are concerned about, but Congress is interested as well. Um, It's something Democrats really are pushing and that the Biden administration is expected to move on.
0: Okay, let's get to Congress in a second. But first, environmental activism is clearly big in the realm of shareholder activism. Are there other things that shareholder activists are asking of corporations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There have been a lot of shareholder resolutions on social issues, and that number has really climbed in recent years. We've seen a lot on governance for a while. Those are kind of in the weeds issues, like who chairs the board, um, corporate policies, and sort of rulemaking, a lot of that, as well as who's on the board. Um, And there's a lot of intersection between the three, but I'd say the biggest thing we saw is in the pandemic, social issues just gained entirely new legitimacy. And that really escalated as a focus, particularly how companies are treating their workers. Everything from scrutiny of layoffs to health and safety practices became really key. And it's all just sort of under this title of human capital management is the term that's used. And the other one that's really gained a lot of attention is political spending. After the insurrection on January 6th, there's just been so much attention to that. And with the Georgia voting law as well, there's really attention to what corporations are doing and saying in the political sphere and what they're reporting. And we're now even seeing that extend to lobbying and pressure around that as well.
0: It sounds like this is a movement of the political left. Is that accurate or... Is the political right doing this as well?
1: Yeah, so it has largely been an issue or a a movement that aligns with the left so far. And that has really, the left has really had the grasp on it. And I think part of that is a traditional sort of sense of on the left wanting to shift corporations and regulate corporations and wanting less of that oversight on the right. But at the same time, we're seeing uh, interest in that. On the right, there's a conservative think tank that has put forward shareholder proposals. They really haven't gotten the support to be resubmitted, but that have a more conservative stance that ask about things like funding to Planned Parenthood or ask about diversity of political perspectives on corporate boards. And It's just something that the big asset managers, the big investment firms to this point haven't seemed to see as the lucrative way, but they are getting more interested in it. And there have been some funds as well that are starting to look at a more conservative version of this.
0: In the case of the Amazon employees who were fired, it seems like that's an example of a company trying to draw a line on where it will not go with this. Are other companies trying to draw lines like that? Or is Amazon's action giving them um, confidence to do so?
1: Yeah, I think that Amazon's case really shows the tension in tech in particular. Tech has really been a site of employee activism recently. And there's this tension because the tech industry has kind of marketed itself as doing good. And then when that's peeled away and there are concerns, you have this employee base that had employees tell me, you know, you don't want to work for a company that's not doing the right thing. Not everyone feels that way, but that's sort of more common among the tech worker base and millennials. And so I think that is really something that's exploding in tech right now. And I think what you're seeing at Amazon, Google has also really cracked down as well. And yeah, with these big firms, I think it does set a level of precedent. But I also think that with the specific employee activism, corporations have always responded to employee activism in specific ways. That's a bigger trend. And it is sort of intersecting with shareholder activism, but shareholders are going to keep asking those questions and companies can't fire them. So there's still that pressure there.
0: We've seen tech employees uh, raise complaints with their employers about privacy, about surveillance, facial recognition, about working with ICE, the Immigration Enforcement Agency, or working in China. Have those efforts borne any fruit? Have they gotten the companies to do what they want?
1: I think in tech, we have seen some changes. I know at Amazon, you know, the employees say that Amazon's climate pledge is because of their efforts. That's, you know, according to those employees who pushed for it. And, but, you know, they're still looking for a lot more. And I think that especially in tech, we've seen tech companies rolling things out, but it's not necessarily to the point that activists or some, in some cases, their employees are looking for.
0: What about Congress? Is there a role for it here?
1: Yeah, so Congress is definitely looking at ESG, and that has really shifted with Democrats in control. I really remember seeing, especially after the 2018 midterms, a lot of freshman Democrats with some ESG disclosure bills. It's kind of an issue that has been described to me as somewhat the perfect Biden issue and kind of perfect moderate issue in a way, because it's seeking disclosure, but not telling companies exactly what to do. But at the same time, it's also been ESG issues have been part of progressive um, policy proposals. So it's sort of popular among Democrats, I would say. And so we're seeing a lot right now in terms of forcing companies to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions, forcing them to report on who they're hiring and where and employee numbers, because companies really don't have to provide a lot of disclosure on their employee base. Um, Disclosure on diversity, there's not a lot of information on that as well. Companies have to report diversity demographics to the federal government, but it's not public. And there's a lot of pressure for that to change. And even on their boards, because board members are disclosed publicly, but the racial, ethnic, gender makeup of those boards isn't Um, across the country. So it's definitely getting more uptake in Congress. And with a lot of those proposals, it's possible the Biden administration could also just move on them without direction from Congress.
0: And now we turn to a conversation between our reporter, Laura Weiss, and Marin Costa, a former Amazon employee who says she was fired by the tech giant for her activism on environmental justice within the company. Let's hear what she has to say.
1: If I could ask you a bit about the shareholder proposals in particular, to start with, can you tell me a bit about why you chose to use shareholder proposals and how that idea developed?
2: So um, that was really, that, that again, that idea had formed before I got, before I, I found, you know, the group before or after that had, idea had already formed. Um, I think it was just a lot of brainstorming, you know, uh, people coming together and just saying, what can we do? And, and getting um, inspiration from other, um, you know, successful movements like, uh, you know, whether it be labor movements or climate movements and um, just kind of landing on that as a really powerful mechanism Um, you know shareholder resolutions have been used to sort of ask for better working conditions for workers but it was sort of a unique idea for workers to say we're going to ask we're going to use our power as workers to ask for global change (laughs) for the world you know to make the world a better place which was is really really powerful and, and and brilliant and and you know works.
1: Yeah. And it so it sounds like it was another tool for activism. And my understanding is a lot of you already own shares from part of your pay packages.
2: Yeah. So the tech industry technic uh you know traditionally pays workers in huge chunks, chunks of stock. And so we were both employees and shareholders and we used that like double power to um you know to apply to apply pressure.
1: In terms of the shareholder proposal as well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the response and what it was like, especially raising environmental justice in that forum. What did you think of the reception? And did it change at all as time went on?
2: I think at first, we could really sense that environmental justice and environmental racism was a harder topic to talk to tech workers about. You know, when we started talking about climate change, it was like, oh yeah, I get it. I'm I'm, I'm on board with climate change. But when we kind of, it was just harder. Environmental racism just wasn't a term that even most people knew, you know? And so the reaction was always a little bit more like, huh? Like now you kind of lost me, you know? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we had to work harder to, to craft that message, I guess, and um, and I think it's you can start to I mean maybe it's just from where I'm sitting, I feel like I can start to see that changing and that people are that 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 issue is starting to get traction and and the press is starting to talk about it you know, which will again make it more real like oh what is what is this thing you call environmental racism you know
1: What do you think helped that conversation move to that level where you're starting to see broader understanding?
2: Um, I think in a way, BLM was huge. And so that was just a cultural factor happening at the same time. Um, And uh, people like Rihanna Gunn-Wright and the Green New Deal and, um, you know, things that were just happening culturally at the same time. In fact, one of the members of our group grew up in that neighborhood. And you know, just knows how it is. You know, you have a constant layer of black soot on your windowsill. You can drag your finger through, and keep your windows closed even when it's hundred degrees because mm-hmm. the air is so bad, and everybody has asthma. You know, and so building that bridge too, you know, that's going to make those voices stronger and um, make that story have more legs, and then kind of start the snowball.
1: Mm-hmm. And what's what you're talking about here? Really raising it as a corporate accountability issue as well. Um what do you see of the history there and reception to that to not only um this is this shouldn't be happening in these communities, but also there's corporate accountability here for that?
2: Corporations are the new countries. You know, we sort of have these oligarchies of of corporations, you know. <laughs> They're sort of like mini oligarchies and and they have so many rights and so much power. And you know i mean they have the power to silence the conversation about the climate crisis which is something that's affecting life and death you know it's a matter of life and death and they they want to if they want to shut down the conversation they can and or they you know we're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen but you know they have all the rights to do that and we need to we are going to want to have you know unless you want Nobody elected Jeff Bezos president, you know? It's like, of has the power of a small country right now, you know? And um, as do these other big corporations. And uh, is that the world that we want to live in, you know?
0: Amazon responded in a written statement. It said, Amazon's climate pledge and commitment to net zero carbon was not in response to employees. Amazon has a long-standing commitment to sustainability and laid out plans in 2016 to set bold targets and plans. We accelerated those plans in 2019 in response to the latest climate science. (laughs) That's all for this episode of CQ Future. I'm Sean Zeller. The producers of this show were Joanne Levine and Evan Campbell. You can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com. Thanks for listening.